Today's scripture is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you want to turn with me there, if you've got a house Bible, that's page 568. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. You may be seated. This week we celebrated our nation's independence on July 4th. And... You know, one of the things I think we can easily lose sight of is the fact that we take our, some of our freedoms for granted. And it's really easy to do, but to know that what God has given us in this nation isn't perfect, but it also is something that should be cherished and should be guarded and protected and should be prayed for. And so I, I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and this prayer will be a little bit different because m- when I've been praying for our country this week, my prayer is that there would be a sweeping work of the Holy Spirit to bring revival like our country has never seen it before. And so I'm going to pray for that. Would you join me? Holy Spirit of God, we ask that your movement would take place among us today. That God, your movement would take place among our nation today within the highest of authorities to the lowest of ranks, God. That your Holy Spirit would stir hearts towards yourself. The greatest thing in this world isn't the freedom that we experience as a nation, but the freedom we experience from sin and bondage that is only found in Jesus Christ, God. And I can't help but think that our country is moving further and further away from that. And I ask God for you to do what no political party can, what no president can, what no power can, except by the power that comes from you. Would you stir our hearts towards revival? And would you awaken this country that slumbers right now? In Jesus' name, and the church says, amen. Amen. The prayer of Paul here is really powerful. We've been in this prayer for quite some time. You hear the scripture reading, you're going to like, when are we going to get beyond this message? You know what I mean? We're actually going to be in this passage for the next year, by the way. We're going to take each word, each letter of each word, one at a time. And uh, no, what we're doing is, is we're, we're just chewing on these small morsels of scripture. What I want from this is I want you to learn how to study God's word and to know it, like to really know it, to love God with your mind in such a way that loves and transforms your heart and it changes your actions. And, and, and the beauty of that is that they're just these small passages that oftentimes we just 
glaze over. We just gloss over. But God wants to get our attention. He wants to show us this is really amazing right here. This is really amazing that Paul prayed for us to experience God's immeasurable power. That's a really amazing thing. I don't want you to miss that. I want you to go home today and I want you to pray this prayer over your life. To pray this prayer over your church. To pray this prayer over your city, over your family, over your home. That you would experience the immeasurable power of God by the working of His great might. Which, by the way, is so powerful That it raised Jesus from the grave. And the picture Paul wants us to see as he prays this prayer. It's it's, got to be the picture he's seeing as he's praying it. It's not that Jesus is on the cross. Not that Jesus is dead in the grave. But that Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God. The Father. So in the passage right before it, when Josiah preached it last week, that that we may know the hope to which we've been called, the inheritance that is given by the riches of God's glory, the picture that Paul wants us to see is, is that's your future. Because where Christ is, that's where you will also be. That's, That's something that's, Absolutely mind-blowing for us because I, I don't know, have, it, has anybody worried about your future this week? Let's just do a survey. Honestly, has anybody just kind of worried about your future a little bit this week? Okay, most people, most people, right? It, it's a normal thing for us to worry about your future. Do you know that Jesus ascended from the grave to the right hand of the throne of God to say, your future is secure because where I am, you shall be with me also. Where he is, we shall be with him also. And one of the the cool things about Jesus, there's lots of cool things about Jesus, but one of the cool things about Jesus is that, you know know the story of like the predator and the prey type thing, that if if there's a a lion and it, it has no known predators except for mankind, and so if the lion isn't controlled, if the population of the lion isn't controlled, then we gotta worry about the lions, right? Well, well, here's the thing about Christ. Is, is Christ has no known enemies. And if he's defeated death, it means that he's going to rule forever. It means that your future is more certain and more secure than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. And the incredible experiencing of God's power that the Apostle Paul wants for his church in Ephesus is that they would see the risen Lord and his conquering might For all eternity. That's what I've prayed for you this week. That's what I've prayed for me. When when my mind's given to worry. When my mind's given to anxiety. When my mind's given to fear. I have this passage. This little morsel of scripture. And I pray it. God. God help me. Help me know. Your power. This week we were out for a run, me and my son Camden and my daughter Adeline. Camden is now running well ahead of me at this point. Uh, Adeline is staying with me. And I'm, I'm kind of meditating on this passage. And as I'm meditating on this passage, I'm, I'm looking at the things around me. And as I'm running, and I'm looking at this beautiful oak tree. And I say to Adeline, I said, Adeline, have you ever thought about God's power? And Adeline looked at me as she was running. She said, Daddy... The only thing I think about when I'm running is how I want to stop running. (laughs) I said, you are just like your daddy, girl. (laughs) 
But at this point, I'm trying to get my mind off of thinking about stopping running. And I'm thinking about the amazing power of, of God that created this, this oak tree from a small acorn. And over the course of 50 or 60 years, it's this giant tree. And it shows God's immeasurable power. I, I went last week, two weeks ago, we were up in Colorado, Vail, Colorado, beautiful place. My wife and I, we had a little free time after the conference and we went up to Vail Mountain, 10,350 feet up in the sky. And it was gorgeous. I had never been up to a point that high in all of my life. And I saw a, a 360 landscape of, of the mountains on every side of me. And the village that was down below was so small, so tiny. And I saw God's immeasurable power. And I remember looking at a dandelion, this little yellow flower there. And I saw this dandelion. And I thought to myself, man, God created the flower and in the backdrop, he also made the mountain. Like, like God thinks of everything. He thinks of everything and he does everything with this intrinsic detail, with this absolute care. And the other thing about it that's good for us is God wants it to be noticed. He wanted me to see both the dandelion and the mountain. And he wanted me to see that that is God's display of his power shown to me. That I would see his immeasurable power. And so as I was on Klingman's Dome, I thought about also, or actually this, I, sorry, I was on Vail Mountain. I remembered when I was on Klingman's Dome and how high that was. That was in Tennessee. My family used to vacation in the Smoky Mountains, 6,600 something feet up in the sky. I thought that was really high. And then I started thinking about God's immeasurable power even greater than that and thought about, you know, this mountain is, is like not really even that big of a mountain. Even in Colorado, mountains get over 15,000 feet. And then I, I looked up Google, right? Google's really smart. Looked up on Google Mount Everest, not the one at Disney World. Uh, this is the real Mount Everest, 29,000 feet, Mount Everest. <laughs> Just shoots into the sky. And you know what that mountain does every day? It declares God's, God's immeasurable power. Do you know that, that we can't even measure the amount of water that's in the ocean? That's immeasurable. We can't even come to terms with how much water's in the ocean. The only thing that we could do is say that 97% of the earth's water is in the ocean. And so if you know the other 3% is the fresh water that we are able to drink every day, that 97% is a lot of immeasurable freaking water, right? It's a lot. Pardon that. <laughs> I would have told my kids you shouldn't do that, so I shouldn't do that either. Um, and so God's immeasurable power is given is shown to us to say that there's no one that compares to him isaiah 40 21 through 23 says do you not know do you not hear has it not been told you from the beginning have you not understood from the foundations of the earth it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It's he who stretches the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth 
as emptiness. It's he. You think about the most powerful people that have ever lived. I think about Alexander the Great. If you study history, Alexander the Great was a pretty great guy, right? You don't get the name Alexander the Great without being like Alexander the Great, you know? You're pretty great. At 33 years old, you'd think that this guy has conquered everything that he could have conquered, and he pretty much had. And this man at 33 years old, who had no known enemies at the time, was killed by a mosquito when he got malaria. Jesus doesn't have to worry about that. He doesn't. Because Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. He laid it down. And he gave up his life so that we might live. So that we would forever know God's amazing and incredible power. That we would know that power. That's the first prayer lesson we learned from Paul's prayer today is that you would know and grow in the knowledge of God's power. We're not praying that God would give us power. We're not praying that God would show us, would, would, would give more power. We know that God's power is all around us, that you would just see it, that you would know it, that you would be arrested by it, that your heart would be captivated to that power. And that that power would be something that you realize comes from the hand of God. You know, where you look for power is where you look for your future. That's true. Where you look for power is where you look for your future. If you think money is going to provide you power, then that's where you're banking on your future to be, is in how much money you raise or how much money you can't raise. And so your eternal security, your, your plans, your actions are all around where money is. You know how easily our minds are distracted from the power of God because what we do is we fixate our minds on something else and we think that if we just have enough of this, then we'll just have enough power. What Paul is saying is that that's, that's really quite dumb. Look for power in Christ. Look for power in Christ and you have everything that you need. And the Apostle Paul's life was a testimony to that. It was a testimony of living under the influence of God's power and God always provided. God always showing him the next place to go. Showing him the next place to plant a church. Showing him the next people to witness to. Jesus himself, the man who had the most power in all the world, humbled himself. And in his humility, he showed us that all you need is the power of God. You don't have to look anywhere else for it. But we look for it somewhere else. And and, and I want to talk to you for a minute about the way that this impacts our prayer life. There's a few things I noticed about my life recently, just over the last few years. The way my life is changing and the way I, I don't really want it to change. Um, one thing I noticed about my life is that... Uh, is that I, I can't get through a movie without having these little lapses of like ADD. I've not been diagnosed with ADD. I may or may not have ADD. You could ask my wife. She'll tell you if I do or if I don't. She'll probably tell you I do, but I don't think I really do. Maybe I do. We'll see. <laughs> so was noticed that I, I can't really kind of get through even a whole movie, an hour and a half, without checking my phone. It's something that's changed in me. I I can't sit for a 15-minute period of time 
and, and have a, a prayer time with God without checking my phone. I've noticed that about myself. Sometimes I've noticed it's really hard for me to be present with my family. My wife tells me this often, that it's really hard for me to be present with my family because I'm always wondering what's the notification that's happening. I'm always trying to check my email. There's always something else that I'm looking to that's more important. You see the pattern here? There, there's, this, there's this thing that I'm looking for in my phone that's, that's distracting me. And, and I want to I talk about that for a moment because it's not like your phone is an innately bad thing, right? We, we actually need our phones, not that we use them to talk to people anymore, um, but we actually need our phones. They're, they're a thing that, that can be really valuable, and for all the things that smart technology does, there's some great benefits for it. But I think that we all can admit one thing, and the younger you are, the easier you are to admit it, and the older you are, the more you see it in other people, <laughs> is that our phones are an incredible distraction, right? And our phones actually kind of steal from us. They, 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 they take away from us more than they, they give to us. A friend of mine, his name's John Tyson, I was in seminary with him, he's a church planter in New York City, he says that distraction leads to disillusionment. Distraction leads to disillusionment. And the reason why I bring that up is because oftentimes there's this subtlety that, 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 that causes us to be distracted from the power of God. And, and I honestly think that there is a work of, of the devil that does it that causes us to be disillusioned from God. And there's this instant accessibility that's right in our pocket all the time that's continuing to distract us from the wonder and awe of God. Because your phone plays upon these heartstrings that says, I need people's approval. So we have to check Facebook and see how many likes we have or how many hearts that we have on our Instagram. It says that we need power. And so we want to have instant accessibility to those around us. And if they don't answer our text message right away, then we think, what, who, who doesn't carry their phone with them? And so we, we need power or, or we use our phones to control our futures or, or the outcomes of our life. And, and those things, what that does is it causes us to become increasingly disillusioned with God. So much so that I noticed when I was on the mountain in Vail, Colorado, that I couldn't help but to check my phone regularly when I see the expanse and beauty of God's power all around me. And there was absolutely no reason to do it. And it was stealing from that moment, my engagement, my interaction with the power of God, and it caused me to realize, you know what that's leading in my life? It's leading to a growing disillusionment with God. Disillusionment means that the, the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines it, says a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. That's disillusionment. You lead to the discovery that something is, has sold you the bill of goods. It's not, it's not the thing that it sold you to be. Somehow, we've gotten into our mind because of this distraction that God's just really not that good. God's really not that worth it. Has anybody ever had someone in their life just leave God, lead the, leave the faith, run away from God? Anybody? Yeah. We, we all have, haven't we? And do you know why they do that? Because they become disillusioned with God. 
Because somehow God doesn't come through like they thought he should have. That somehow God doesn't meet their needs in the way that they thought he should have met them. And so it has slowly become a disillusionment that caused some people who may have never thought would leave God to turn their backs on God because they've been distracted by other things. And the distractions that they've been been bothered by or, or, or the distractions that something has led them to is the distraction that led them from the main thing. And the main thing is realizing that what God has wanted for you the most he's produced in your salvation as if something is greater than that. So, so here's what we're distracted by. We're distracted by the thoughts that God owes us more than he's already given us. So we look to our phones. We look to the things of this world. I'm, I'm just using the phone as an example. It's a real example. Example that we could all relate to. But we get distracted thinking that there's something better than the salvation that God offered to us at the cross. That's the greatness of the power of God that Paul wants us to know. He wants us to never forget it. He wants us to never grow old of it. Is that Jesus Christ has brought salvation to you. That's the great power that the Apostle Paul wants us to, to realize. Is that that. That God, through his son, Jesus Christ, came to the world to save sinners. And as Paul says, who I am the foremost. And that's an amazing, incredible thing. And you must never forget that. But here's what we do. We, we tend to compartmentalize our faith. And we, we, what we do is we, we say, I believe in Jesus. And we leave it at that. But we, we neglect the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ day by day in our lives when we're struggling in our marriages. Where do you turn when your marriage is falling apart? Where do you turn? Do you turn to your own self-help methods? Do you turn to your own selfishness? Do you say, you know what, it's a lost cause, I give up, I'm just going to forget about it? Or do you turn to the salvation that God has given you in order to resurrect your marriage? What about your families? What about your friends? What about your job? What about your career? Where do you turn to, to look for, for, for hope and renewal in those things? Where, where do you look for power in those moments? Do you give up? Do you turn to self-help? I said it last week or two weeks ago. How does self-help self out of the place that self got itself into in the first place? Self-help doesn't work. Unless we're tapped in to the resurrecting power of God, we will become disillusioned with him. Unless we're tapped in to the salvation that's provided by and through Jesus Christ, we're going to become distracted. We're going to subtly and slowly find ourselves drifting like the author of Hebrews says. Subtly and slowly find ourselves wandering away from God. Do you know I take comfort in this passage today and I take comfort in the Bible because the Bible was meant to bring back the people that wander, right? It was meant to bring back the drifters. The Bible wasn't written to a perfect people. The Bible was written to a people who need grace, people like you and me. So, so you might find yourself in the room today and you might say, that's me. That's my marriage. That's my family. 
That's my relationship with God. Well, good news. There's grace right here. There's grace for you to be brought back. And the way that Paul brings us back is by praying that we would see no other power greater than the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. You know why I think God made the mountains? You know why I think he made the mountains? Because he said, I could do this. You better believe I could do that. You better believe I could raise Jesus from the grave. And the great thing isn't that I made the mountains, but the great thing is that Jesus isn't dead in the grave with a hundred pounds of linen wrapped over him. Is that Jesus rose again. That's the greatness of God's power that he wants us to experience today. And you could lose your life tomorrow. And if you have that, you have all that you need. If you lose everything tomorrow, you have everything you need. This week I was sitting with a couple in premarital counseling. And one of the things that I do in these times is I ask people to share their story. How did God change you? How did God save you? And this young woman, she said to me, she said, You know, God had to take everything away from me. To show me that he was all I really had. He had to take everything away from me. To show me that he was all I really had. And there's a beautiful testimony before me that day. Because what she was saying is that he's all I really need. Is him. What a beautiful thing to enter into in a, a relationship of marriage. To say I, I don't need this other person. I'm not dependent upon this other person. If I have this other person but I don't have God, then I don't have anything. But this other person is a gift that God's given so that I would cherish them, but also cherish him through the gifts that he's given. And that these other things wouldn't be to fill up what's lacking in us. Like the old Jerry Maguire, you complete me. That's a load of nonsense. But, but that we realize that we're fully and finally complete in God and God uses our spouses. God uses our family members. God uses our friends as a means of grace to grow us. As a means of grace to show us his power. And one of the things I want to do in, in that marriage. And one of the things I want to do in my marriage. Is that we would always point each other to the resurrecting power of God. That's what we do in life. You don't have to be married for this. That you would always point people to the resurrecting power that's found in Jesus Christ, that's according to his great might. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. <clears throat> and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Nobody here can claim that salvation is your work. Nobody here can claim that you received God's power by some strength or might in you. No, Paul says, I went to the church of Corinth and I was babbling all over my words and it wasn't plausible and it wasn't understandable, but God used it to show a demonstration of his power and salvation came to this church of Corinth. Salvation came to this messy church that God brought his redemption through. 
They're a ragtag group of Christians. They, they said not many of you are wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you, not many of you were of noble birth. But God made foolish the things of the world to show his wisdom, to show the wisdom of God in the cross of Christ. And he says it's the, the foolishness of the world. But God uses that foolishness to shame the strong. And so the things that you think are so strong and so powerful and so conquering in this world are the things that God is one day going to show. It's got, it's got nothing on him. That he can defeat those things in a moment. And he is the one of immeasurable power. And you would pray... To know the power of God and salvation. That's the message of the New Testament over and over again. Don't forget it. We, we often think that the message of salvation is just our affirming in a prayer and then we let it go. And then we forget about it. We forget that it means anything for our life today. We go on as if we haven't received anything. We think that we have to go in our own strength from there. But every day we got to return to that message of salvation. That message of grace that we've received because somehow we'll be fooled to think that, great, or that, that, that we'll receive strength from some other place. But every day we need grace upon grace. And God grows us. And God uses it to change us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. Has God made you new? You, you, maybe you're here today. And, and this is a foreign idea to you. Or maybe you've heard it over and over again. But you've not experienced the power of it. Do you know what Paul is praying for? He's not just praying for it through our minds. Although our minds is an incredible thing. And I think that we have to recognize that God is calling us to know him with our minds. Because if we don't, it won't translate to our hearts. But God, but God also wants us to experience him. Not that we would just be able to recite facts about him. Not that we would sit in a theological ivory tower like the Pharisees did and we would completely miss him. But that we would have a genuine experience of him. When, when the gal shared with me that God stripped away all those things from her in order to show her himself, that was an experience she was talking about. It wasn't her reading it in a book. She had to go through something to get there. And it was the hardest thing she would tell you that she ever went through. But it was the most necessary thing because at the end of the day, she experienced God's power. I pray that you would experience God's power. It's a, that's a tough pray to, prayer to pray, isn't it? Because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the things that we're looking to for power that God might take away. I pray it over my kids and I'm like, okay, God, don't do it too bad, too much, right? Don't do it too bad for them. And as your kids get older, I hear it gets even harder because you want God to break them. You want God to shape them. You want God to disciple them. But you don't want them to go through a lot of pain. But sometimes that pain is really necessary so that we might experience God's power. The other amazing part about that is that the pain that you're going to endure will never, will never compare to the pain that Christ endured. It will never compare to the pain that Christ endured. Christ went through the pain of abandonment by God. 
He was stricken. He was smitten. He was put outside the camp as an outsider. God the Son was neglected by God the Father. So that we would be received. That's what it took for our sin to be forgiven. That our sin was put upon Him. And He was punished in our place. And and do you know what God tells tells us through that resurrection? Through that forgiveness? Well, sin has lost its power. Sin does not have power over us. I know that today you're going to experience a challenge with your sin nature. I know that you're going to experience a challenge of besetting sin. And I pray that you and I always desire in the midst of that, we always desire to walk in repentance. So necessary. How do we know that God's given us power over sin? Well, he causes us to walk in repentance. Sin does not claim victory over us. It's called sanctification. We're ongoingly reliant upon God's grace to bring forth from us a life of holiness. That we would walk on the highway of holiness because God is the one who leads us there. Sin's power is what God has defeated. And in this life, we'll always feel the tension of walking in that. In the life to come, sin will not have the final say over us because our sin is forgiven. It was put on Christ and punished in our place. The power of death. That's the most scary thing in the world for humanity. There's nothing more scary than death. Because death is it. I mean, it's done. Like, I, 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 you know, if you've ever been to surgery before where they put you under, you kind of wonder, am I going to wake up? And what's it going to be like if I don't? <laughs> well, we don't have to worry about that because death has been paid for. Death is not the enemy anymore. Jesus Christ died one time. One time so that we might live forever. And although you and I will die, that death is the new beginning. It's the new beginning of the life that God has planned for us before all eternity. And then finally, God's power defeated the devil. God's power has defeated the devil. I've read the Bible beginning to end. I know the end of the story. Right? I have the word of God in Revelation that this Satan is thrown in the lake of fire with all his minions. And that Satan is conquered and he will be eternally punished for his, for being an enemy of God. And all those, and this is important for us to know, all those who refuse in this life to confess with their mouth. And to believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're counted as enemies. They're counted as enemies. And God gives us that stern warning. So that me might want and know and desire to be God's friend. That we would worship God. That we would cherish him. And that we would realize that God's anger and wrath does not burn against us. But God's love is given to us. And how is God's love given to us? Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Distraction leads to disillusionment. But attention leads to adoration. Have you been disillusioned by by God in some way? It's because you've been giving your hearts to something that's distracted you. 
But how do we get our minds back on the power of God? We give God our undivided attention. Or as the author of Hebrews says, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we would see that he is worthy of our worship. There's a million different things that you can give your attention to today. And if you're not careful, those things will steal, steal, steal. But if you give your attention to God, then God will give you a glimpse of himself that leads to adoration, that your heart would be captivated by him. Matt Chandler says, we need to give our minds and our hearts to the things that, that give us. Actually, let me read the quote because I'm trying to think of it by memory. What stirs our affections to Christ? Ask that question. What stirs my affections for Christ? Do you know that I, I can experience Christ in a good book? By just reading a good book. Sometimes a book's a fiction book, but I can just, I can just, I can have a time where my heart is resting in the Lord and I can experience the fullness of Christ just by reading. It stirs my affections for God. When I'm around certain people, not everybody, but when I'm around certain people, my affections are stirred for Christ. When I'm around my family, I, I, there's, there's this cherishing that happens when we all just experience God's goodness in the presence of one another. When you have a good meal with good friends, it stirs my affections for God. Do you know it robs my affections for God? If I binge watch like 15 episodes in a day, right? I just feel like I'm dumber after the end of it. I'm like, what did I just do? I mean, where, where did that time completely go, right? If you, it, I'm, just, I'm just saying like TV is not a bad thing, but if it becomes this thing that's, that, that just steals your time and attention, it's going to cause disillusionment. It's going to cause disillusionment. Believe it or not, one of the things that stirs my affections for God is when I exercise. It's been something that God's given me the last few years as a joy. When I exercise, I feel more energy and enthusiasm for life. And it causes my heart to be filled with gratitude towards Him. When I don't exercise, I realize it steals, it robs from me. There's something that, that is taken away from me. We need to look at the Bible not as a list of rules, but we need to see, we need to see that the, the things that the Bible encourages us away from are the things that rob from us. And we also need to think, look at the things that are not innately bad things in this world as things that can really steal from us. If we give ourselves too fully to those things, that we would give ourselves fully to what stirs our affections for Jesus Instead of what robs our affections for Jesus. It will change your prayer life. It will change your prayer life. That your prayer would be filled with your mind fixed on God. And your attention undividedly given to Him. And then you'll be able to talk to Him. And communion with Him. And you'll be able to tell Him all the things that you worried about in this day. And you'll be able to feel His reassuring presence saying, Listen. You know where Jesus is? He's at the right hand of God. You don't have anything to worry about. Even if your whole world collapses tomorrow, I've got your future certain because I'm the one who has all power and authority. That's what God wants for you and for me. 
This was an idea that was illustrated throughout the Bible. One of the best places that it was illustrated that we need God's resurrection power is in the life of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He, Mary, and Martha were some of the closest people that we see were in Jesus' lifetime. Well, Lazarus was sick. He was ill. And and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was probably going to die. And so, Jesus, you need to come quickly so that Lazarus doesn't die. Well, Jesus delayed getting there. We don't really know why Jesus delayed getting there. Some believe that Jesus could have been persecuted or killed if he would have went a little bit earlier. But no matter the reason, Jesus took four days to get from where he was to get to Lazarus. And by the time he'd gotten there, Lazarus had already died four days, been dead for four days. He was in the grave. He was wrapped up with a hundred pounds of linen cloth. And when, when Jesus went to open the grave, Martha says, Jesus, don't do it because he stinks. Jesus opened the grave and the stench comes out. And somehow when it already started with Lazarus decomposing corpse, Jesus changed it. Like he, he made his rotting dead corpse come alive. And everything that was stolen from Lazarus' life that had begun in the decaying process, Jesus instantly put back together. And Jesus called forth from that grave. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And his good friend, this man that he loved, came out of the grave. And he had a hundred pounds of linen cloths on him. And he says, unbound yourself and go free. The story wasn't just a story of of Lazarus' need of Jesus Christ for his final resurrection. The story is a story that says we need Jesus right now because we're bound by sin. We're bound by our own problems. We're bound by our own foolishness. But we need the resurrection power of God to set us free. I want you to pray for that resurrection power. I want you to pray that God would give you faith. Because that's what you and I need today. That's our greatest need. And that we would humbly bow. I want you to bow your heads right now. Humbly bow. And say, God, I need to know the power of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus right now. That you would stir our affections for you, Jesus, right now. We don't have to go home and do it. We don't have to do it. God tomorrow or the next day in order to have our affections stirred but right now Holy Spirit the winds of your spirit that I pray would sweep over our nation would sweep over hearts in this room right now you would God minister to our children you would awaken our cold our dead hearts to the needing of your resuscitating life awaken us give us faith help us believe it help us walk in it We give ourselves to you in Christ's precious name, the church says.